You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Chris Jennings. Joining us once again today is Phil Bergeli, Ducks Unlimited Magazine shotgunning columnist. Phil, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. It's been a while since we've had you on. I don't think we've even had you on in this season, which is really surprising because your shows are always really popular. Before we get rolling along here, I I just want to kind of touch base with you on how your waterfowl season was for the 2021-2022 year. It was terrible. <laughs> I think I don't. I don't think I speak for a lot of people when I say it was terrible. Uh, <laughs> we had a drought here in Iowa, which did not help. Mm-hmm. Um, although the ponds that I hunt filled up during the season, it didn't seem to make much difference. And then what was really strange was our our goose migration was way late. And when they did get here, we only about a ten days of the season left. Um, they never went anywhere where I could get at them. Uh, they never had a chance to, they weren't here long enough to eat the, feed out the safe fields and get out where I can hunt them. Yeah. So I hunted pheasants a lot this year is the, the short answer to how my duck season was. Uh, Not a bad trade-off. Uh, you know, I, I love waterfowling, but I, I grew up as a bird hunter and love it. Uh, and uh, I did get to go on a terrific teal hunt early this, in, in September. I, I had never been to Texas to teal hunt before and it is... It was everything people tell me it is, and then some. Nice. Who'd you go down there with? Uh, we went. This is a uh, we did actually a gun test field stream, uh, but we went to a place called Pintail Hunt Club. Okay. Near near Eagle Lake, so it wasn't on the coast. Which initially I was disappointed because I was hoping we could catch redfish in the afternoon, but uh, we had enough work to do that that we were busy all the time anyway. But uh, the numbers of birds were just phenomenal. Uh, we got out. The first morning into a little kind of a, we just stood at the edge of some brush and uh, you could hear the teal getting up and it really sounded like crashing surf every time a flock would get up. Yeah, and, that's cool. Uh, and then the, the sky was full and actually it was perfect because then after the sky was full and you got to watch that for a while, then when shooting time came, it was twos and threes in small groups mm-hmm. and uh, just wonderful. Uh, you know, we, I think each day there was, you know, between five or six of us shooting every day and i think it took 40 minutes was probably the longest we were ever out had some shooters with you we did we did uh we also had a lot of opportunities yeah <laughs> it was just non-stop um and yeah no i used to, I, I would hear the other groups in other places still banging away as we were leaving and thinking geez maybe maybe being able to hit what i shoot at isn't all it's cracked up to be i'd like to still be hunting but yeah um, <laughs> But no, it was really, really fun. Yeah. Did you have a, what exactly were you shooting? Like, did you have a preferred teal load or anything? We had, I think we were shooting steel fours and we were shooting some heavy hammer, Mm -hmm. which is not really necessary for 25 yard teal. Yeah. Um, And we had a terrific dog. 
uh, the, at the lodge there, Biggie, uh, and we lost very few ducks. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we got them in tight and, and with teal, that's, it doesn't take a whole lot to kill one. Yeah. You know, people really struggle with blue wings and, and they assume that they're going faster than what they are, but I think it's just that they're acrobatic little targets. And, and I think the biggest problem, you mentioned it, you know, you said they started coming in in twos and threes. The big problem that people have with blue wings is you'll have 30 of them come in. Yes. And that's a problem. Yes, you will. And it is. Uh, it's, a, it's a good problem to have. Yeah. Um, but it's still a problem. And no, really, when they decoy, they're not that hard. And, you know, when you, and when you know they're coming. Uh, the other thing about teal, people think teal are fast. They're actually slower than big ducks. Uh, but they have surprise on their side so often. Yeah. You, know, it, 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 you think they're fast because all of a sudden there they are. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what <clears throat> gets people scrambling and makes people think they're going 100 miles an hour. They really aren't. And they are always closer than you think. It's easy to overlead a teal. Yeah, and they are, you know, they, they do some twisting and turning that makes it makes it tough. But if you look at their beak and and trust your eyes and hands, you can you can hit them okay. Yeah, and I think a lot of, you know, right now, the end of waterfowl season here in Arkansas, you know, it really, a lot of that for us becomes green wing shoots, which I mm-hmm. am absolutely a huge fan of. Oh, yeah. um, and I think a lot of people struggle there because you're sitting in a blind or a pit or wherever, and you're 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 not set up for teal like when you mentioned for blue wing, on your blue wing hunt you're hunting with fours. Well, mm-hmm. a lot of the guys that are in fields and, and pit blinds and whatnot, they're you know they're sitting there with BBs or twos or, you mm-hmm. know, and so it really you know it really lessens your opportunity for you know to get on target. Now, granted, you still typically do, but um, it can it can definitely impact you just on the the shell you're shooting on a, mm-hmm. on a good teal. Hunt I've shot sure. a, I've shot a lot of green wings with twos because where we are, you know, like as as with you, it's they're a late duck for us, mm-hmm. and so our our good green wing shoots are usually mid November and later. And they, you know, they're just like like blue wings only smaller, uh, but they have they have surprise on their side, and that you know they, they, you see them all just fluttering down over the decoys. I remember. I, st- I still have the uh, <clears throat> the spinner wing I shot. <laughs> <laughs> First time I tried hunting in a ghillie suit was that I hit a green wing flight day. And I remember there was, and it was also a day my gun decided not to work. So it was pretty much a single shot. Almost some, and, uh, and I just remember seeing all of a sudden there was 30 blue wings around my spinner like moths around a candle. And I shot the spinner. You shot the spinner. Um, <laughs> and then they all went right over my head and my gun didn't work. So... That's um, a hell of a day. It, it was like that all. It was, it was, if it wasn't teal, it was gab walls that day. They, I was covered up and I think I shot two. Yeah, no, it is, you know, having the right choke and the right load. It, the green wings, especially, they are so small. They look out of range when they're really not very far away. Yeah. And that confuses people too. You know, I, it means I, I usually wind up letting some go, but then it means that the ones you do shoot at are close. Yeah. So yes, your pattern is tight. You don't need, you can shoot right at them. Um, but you know, with teal, especially because they're, they're not flying straight always, um, you know, looking at the bird and trusting your eye hand coordination and not trying to aim the shot really helps. Yeah. A lot of times, you know, I'd kind of consider that almost like an instinctual shot. You're just, it's really fast. And that, and that really, that kind of leads us into the topics that I I wanted to get you Mm -hmm. on here to talk about today. And, 
you know, one is hands-on shooting. And so really you kind of took a little bit of a deep dive on, on, you know, what to do with your hands, you know, where should your hands be, what, you know, and, and then also, which also has a lot to do with your hands. The other topic is the high overhead shot. Mm-hmm. And, and you had a really good breakdown in the magazine, um, one of the past issues here. And, I think it's really important. We'll start out with the hands-on shooting because it's, that is, you know, it's kind of a, I guess the running joke. I can't remember what movie it was. It was Talladega Nights where he didn't know what to do with his hands. And I think sometimes Uh uh, shotgunners have an issue with missing, but they're, you know, it all can just be solved by, you know, instinctually having your hands in the right position. So uh, kind of explain, you know, how you started off with this column and, and what your focus was on really what the information you're trying to relay here. I went to the Remington shooting school years ago when they were still operating. And uh, one of the things the instructor told me that I always always remember is he said, your, uh, your eyes will never lie to your hands. That is, if you trust your eyes and hands to do the job, they're going to do it a lot better than you will if you try to think your way through the shot mm-hmm. or try to aim the shot. Um, and, you know, we all know that from if you've ever played any ball sports at all, you know that. But we pick up a gun and we think somehow it's different because it's got a barrel and a bead and everything that, that we think we need to, to aim. But um, if you can trust your eyes and hands, uh, you can do some miraculous stuff with a shotgun. But And that starts with, you know, how you hold the gun and how you move the gun. Um and the first thing is, you know, when you hold a shotgun, you don't want to squeeze it. Um, I've heard various analogies. Uh, I always try to think of it, you know, I think, I think of it, if it were full of helium, I want to hold it just tight enough so it doesn't float away. If it were a balloon. Um, I've heard someone say, do you want to hold it as if you're holding a tube of toothpaste and not squeeze any of the toothpaste out? But if your hands are relaxed, they're going to work. They're going to flow to the target better. And so that, that's important. Um, I like... To, to keep the forend you know, low in the low in the palm of my, in, in, cupped in my hand. Some people, you know, I see, see people holding it all different ways. And mm-hmm. I usually will extend a finger along the forend just to help me think about pointing. You know, yeah. that, that, that finger, is you, the gun's just there because you know, if I could load my finger, if, we, if, you could, if you could shoot a shell out of your finger, we would never miss. You never miss, yeah. Never. I've never missed with my finger. No, and you won't uh, because our we are, have this ability to, to point that, uh, and that's what you have to take advantage of when you shoot a shotgun. So, as you know, the idea that the, the shotgun is an extension of your, I mean, it's really people say your body, but really it's extension of your hand is what it is, or mm-hmm. extension of your finger. That's how you want to think of it. Um, and the front hand, you know, you can, where you hold the gun is, is personal preference. I like it fairly, if the farther back you hold it, closer to the receiver you hold it, the faster it will be. Um, and I just from target shooting, that's what I'm used to. Uh, but then when you mount the gun, and I think this is this is really important. The, the front hand really leads the way and makes the first move. Yeah. It goes and it goes out and toward the target before the gun comes up or as the gun is starting to come up. So if you think about that, <clears throat> your both hands are working together. The, the back hand, the trigger hand, is its job is to lift the gun up to your cheek. As the front hand is really the one that does, points the gun. And so it is going out to the bird. That also helps clear your coat, which you get bundled up late in the season. Uh, you want to make sure you're not snagging on the <clears throat> on the armpit of your jacket when you bring the gun up. But if you start by pushing out and toward the bird's beak, you'll clear the coat and you'll have the gun moving in the right direction so that all you need to do then with the backhand is raise it up you know, to your face first and then into your shoulder and pull the trigger. 
and do the, all of that without thinking. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, all your thinking is done before you ever take a shot. Yeah. No, that's, I think that's where people run into problems is they, they start thinking, especially younger hunters who, you know, start thinking about, you know, recoil or something like that. Uh, or I can't say younger hunters, maybe inexperienced hunters. Um, they're thinking about that shot, you know, even while they're trying to make it. And that's, right. that's where their hands get all, you know, wonky and not, not necessarily out first, um, push that backhand where you're, you're getting the, the, the stock into your shoulder, you know, mm-hmm. and, and just doing it without thinking. Right. And you know, something else, I, I noticed this during that Texas teal hunt a couple times, um, and dove hunting too, around that same time. Cause I, I started off the season really, really well. I kind of degraded as it went on, but, um, there were shots where I was looking at the bird and had the gun up and I thought I'm not on this target, but I'm just gonna pull the trigger anyway and see what happens. And I centered the bird. Mm-hmm. You know, if you, your eyes and hands will make, if you let them, they will make last minute corrections you don't even know about. You're not even aware of. Um, it's just like, you know, when you shoot a, a pistol, you look at the front sight and that if you, if you keep focused on the front sight, it, you know, you're subconsciously take the gun to the bullseye. Same thing. If you look at the target with a shotgun, if you're really looking at it, you will make a correction that you're not even aware of. I remember the first time I ever learned that was was shooting trap in a high wind when the targets were bouncing up and down the way they do. And I remember hitting birds that I really didn't think I was on. Mm-hmm. It was just because I was looking at the target really hard. And that's, um, you know, so hands are half up. Hands are important. But hands just have to, their job is to take orders from the eyes. Yeah. And uh, and to, to get the gun into action smoothly, which which is a question to say of, of push it out toward the target. And one of the most, you know, People are always concerned about moving the gun fast. That is, um, all that does is increase the chances that you won't make a good gun mount and it kind of loses your connection with the target. Uh, your goal really should always be to move the gun in time with the bird. And that's along with the soft hands, you want, you know, fairly slow hands. Yeah. In, in the column, you kind of have a phrase that that slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Yeah. I think that that's perfect. I mean, that's a great... You yeah, know. you hear that a lot with people talking about shooting well, anything, uh, but absolutely true. Um, if you're smooth, that's fast enough. You, you don't have to move the gun very far. You watch people who can really shoot. They don't move a whole lot. Yeah. And so it doesn't, you're going to win the race with a duck every time if you've got a shell that's moving 1,400 feet per second and it's flying 30 miles an hour. You, you don't have very far to move. Uh, it's not a question of being super fast. It, sometimes it gets that way when you're in a blind with a bunch of people and you want to make sure you shoot whatever bird before somebody else shoots it. <laughs> Otherwise, you know, if you can take shoot with your own timing, uh, you'll you'll hit a lot more of what you're shooting at. What about in regards to the trigger? Um, you kind of touch on that. And I think, you know, I don't know. I, I guess I haven't really read a ton just focusing on the trigger pull of a shotgun. I think it's always just assumed. But I, I and I... You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. can't say that I have this problem, but, you know, for maybe someone who's not as experienced as a shooter, um, you know, what, 
what would you tell them about the trigger? I'm the last person you want to ask about that. I'm a clod when mm -hmm. it comes to trigger. I don't feel trigger pulls. Mm -hmm. I'm not aware of trigger pulls. <laughs> I guess that's um, how I am too. That's why it's and always surprising. I, I've talked to a lot of good shooters, you know, sporting clay shooters who are very particular about their triggers and a few that aren't. Um, but I, here's how I am with triggers. I went to Gunsight Academy years ago. Uh, Field and Stream sent me there to learn how to shoot a rifle. And they gave me a, a rifle and I was shooting it. And the instructor watched me for a minute and he said, boy, you pull the trigger with all five fingers, don't you? <laughs> and yeah, I do. Um, some people don't. Some people are very aware of when that trigger breaks and that's probably better, but I'm not. I, you mm -hmm. know, for me, it's just, uh, I try to, I want to shoot the bird as soon as I'm on it. Yeah, I've got a, actually a really funny, that just dawned on me and I, I got a really funny story and I'm not going to mention any names here. Um, but on a, a waterfowl hunt just, you know, a week ago, um, I was I was hunting with some guys from uh, the industry and, and a couple of them had had never uh, and I didn't I didn't know these people necessarily, but mm -hmm. they'd, they'd never been on a waterfowl hunt before. So when they showed up, um, you know, they were invited and they were supposed to bring their own guns and stuff. And, and this guy, the first day he he hunted with a gun and it didn't work and he had never duck hunted before. So he was super bummed out. Um and so the next, we got back to the lodge and he goes to his truck and he gets out. He's like, I brought two guns. It's no big deal. And he goes back and he pulls out a bolt action 12 gauge and it had an choke on it. Uh -huh. And we're like, are you, you're going to hunt with that thing? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that afternoon after we had lunch and, and these, the guys at the lodge are like, Hey, let's go shoot some let's go shoot some clays and they had a couple really nice throwers um, mm -hmm. that they even did the wobble and they were moving and and you know and, and it was really cool and so we stood out there in this field and this guy who was not he's not a shotgun guy I mean, he's a rifle guy mm -hmm. and he stood out there and he whooped our tails with this bolt action really? i mean it, i think it only had like a 24 inch barrel on it uh -huh. um and he you know, we were doing the, what what some people call it, Annie Oakley or knockout or anything mm -hmm. like that. And this guy totally, I mean, he probably won two out of the four or five competitions that we had. And these are, and he was up against, you know, six or seven, eight guys who are some shooters. You know, the guides mm -hmm. were shooting, the lodge owner was shooting. Um, it was pretty impressive. Have you ever seen anyone, you know, shoot the bolt action shotgun like that? A friend of mine has one of the Marlin Goose guns with the 36-inch barrel, which is like... Uh, <laughs> it's like the Paris gun. <laughs> it is like the Paris gun. Um, uh, and he shoots it pretty well. He shoots everything pretty well. Um, you will find people, you know, rifle guys, you're talking about Andy Oakley's, yeah, they have a chance to aim at that going-away target. Mm -hmm. They can break it a long way away. And much I, I enjoy trap shooting. I think it's really good practice for upland hunting, but... You know, you can do a lot of things wrong in trap shooting that are not going to translate into your duck hunting. Absolutely. And have some success. And and part of that is aiming the gun, uh, which is fine for a going away target, especially going away target when you've got a lot of time like that. And, you know, in Oakley where you're letting other people shoot and you can tell they've got a long time to, to draw a bead. But uh, if you try that in the duck blind, it's not going to work for you. You'll be in um, trouble. Well, and I and. So when you practice, even when you shoot trap, when you shoot any practice game, you have to practice it in a way that's going to carry over to your field shooting. Which, yeah. again, to me means trusting your eyes and hands and, and not trying to ride the target forever as he was able to do with that bolt gun. Absolutely. Well, you know, the, the funniest part about that is we got up the next morning and went out to a, a rice field 
and got in the pit and I, you know, I didn't even look over. I wasn't paying attention and look over and he's got that bolt gun in the pit. Mm-hmm. And we had a couple flocks of teal come in, a bunch of teal buzzing around and, and we all stood up and, and shot and I turned around and looked at him. I was like, did you get two shots off there? And he's like, yeah. So he was getting two shots off with a bolt action. That's pretty good. I was yeah. I was really impressed. I've got some I've got some pictures. I'll uh, I'll see if I can send you a picture of I'd him. I'd like to see that. Yeah, yeah he fun. was uh he was hammering away on it. It was it was a very, very impressive uh and I guess that I'll just as you were talking about what you're doing with your hands and what you're doing, like when <laughs> this guy's doing everything the exact opposite of what you were probably talking mm-hmm. about, where you know, because his his hands are moving the whole time. It's right. a, a pretty impressive feat for uh, for shotgunning. I, I tip yeah, my is. hat to him. I think everyone was pretty impressed with it. Yeah, I would have been. Um, let's move on here. Sorry, I got sure. kind of got you sidetracked there with the old bolt action story. <laughs> um, but you know, one of the things with your hands too that you talk about in this column is keeping your hands warm. Um, why is this so important? Warm hands? Other than just keeping your hands warm, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I maybe place too much emphasis on this because my hands get numb. Mm-hmm. I, I, I've always had bad circulation and it doesn't get any better as I get older. And it's really unfortunate that I like to hunt Canada geese when it's zero as much as I do because <laughs> yeah, it's really not easy for me. But you can't feel anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't. I can't even, sometimes I can't even stick a shell up a a magazine tube if my thumbs get so weak in the cold. So what I have found for keeping my hands warm are electric mittens. Yeah. And they are wonderful. Yeah. Um, I know there's electric hand muffs muffs, and I've got a pair of the set of those. And and there's those those hand warmers, which work really well, but until they get wet, the chemical ones, uh, and they're way better than nothing, but you know, in, in waterfowling, they have their have their limitations. But the electric mittens, which I take with with me when I in my layout blind, uh, get really really hot, and so I can keep those on, keep my hands warm, and then if I need to wave a flag or blow a call or shoot a gun, I they come off right away, and then they go back on. You know, you, your hands can get wet with mittens, and you can still put them back on, unlike gloves. Yeah. So for me, that's I won't I, I won't hunt in cold weather without those anymore. I really. <clears throat> really like them, but um, as for me, warm hands is just I can't. I have a hard time working the gun with cold hands. Yeah, I think most people probably do, and I'm I'm guilty of of not really liking gloves at all. I don't um, like gloves either. I need <laughs> gloves desperately, but I don't like them. So this the mittens are great because I I just don't wear anything under them. I just pull them off, and I've got bare hands for shooting and. Um, and certainly it makes a difference. I'm not much of a caller, but I can tell the difference totally with calling. Calling with gloves on and calling with bare hands is a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And it just muffles the sound and wrecks it if you've got gloves on. So uh, bare hands are the way to go if you can do it. Um, and that's, so for me, electric mittens are, that, that's been my salvation. I don't know. I haven't tried them duck hunting. Duck hunting I, is not that cold usually for me. And I can, unless my hands get get wet get wet yeah but it's it's a late season goose hunts where i need help yeah that's that's working smarter not harder with the <laughs> uh the electric mittens uh, yes I, it is i've had i've had a uh, about a million different pair of gloves and i do wear gloves i can't say that i don't wear them i wear them um i used to not when i was younger and i felt like you know i could just out there moving chunks of ice and mm, picking up decoys no. and doing that and now as i've gotten older 
I think I've gotten a little weaker and you know, now I I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of the hot hands. Um, the I hot keep, hands I, are good. I keep those around. That's, that's an important part. And the, the Texas rigs are good too. There's nothing makes, uh, there's that cuts way down on the amount of water you get on your hands when you're picking up and, and moving decoys. Absolutely. Just be able to run your finger into that loop. I can, I can do that barehanded and not feel it. Which yeah. Is, is great that does um, make it a lot easier well you know let's discuss and and we kind of talked about this before we uh we hit the record button here mm-hmm. um you know you did the column on the high overhead shot and yes. this is for me uh probably one of my now not i don't like shooting them too high but an overhead shot for me is is definitely a, a solid kill shot i'm very confident with it uh, some of the guys that i hunt with are very confident with it so when when we have something cruise over the top you know of our blind we we're going to take that shot because mm-hmm. we're all very confident with it we all shoot it pretty well you mentioned you're not as big of a fan of that uh, this is all you know obviously personal preference but um, you kind of got into the technique and the practice of of shooting this shot and and you had five different points um, to uh, to talk about, um, but but before we get into the five points, talk about why you really did, don't really like this shot. It's not that I don't. It is a great shot. It's a it's a killing shot. Absolutely, everything's exposed, um, and it is um, it's a shot that you can you can kill them fairly far up there mm-hmm. uh, overhead because they say they're showing a lot of vitals. I don't like it just because every bird I shoot over the top is a bird I'm not shooting the decoys, yeah. and I. I, I hate that I'm turning into one of those guys, <laughs> but I get so much more pleasure out of watching birds cup up into the decoys that than than pass overhead. That mm-hmm. um, I'd rather wait for that. And the other thing for me is I hunt without a retriever, yeah. um, which is you know, I've always had bird dogs, and I, that may change someday. But um, so I want my birds in front of me, and I want them to fall in the water where I can shoot them again if I have to. And so, you know, for that's another reason I don't like to take the overhead shot. Yeah. Um, when I do, I get in trouble. Yeah. But it, 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 it can. It's, it's a good shot. You know, it's, it's a, it is a good, it's a good shot to practice. It's funny. I, uh, I had a, a call from a, a DU reader. It's asking me about guns. And he said, and he's, he hunted in, he's from Illinois. Uh, but he and his friends all take two guns to the blind. They take, a regular gun for shooting uh, ducks in the decoys, and then they all take ten gauges or three and a half inch twelves, choked really tight for the overhead shot, mm. so that they've got they're ready for anything. The skyscrapers uh, there, yeah, jeez. Yeah, but uh, it's it's the we were talking about we we're talking about hands, you know, and, and talking about moving your hands slowly. There is never a time when moving slowly is more important than shooting the overhead shot. Mm. Um, most people want to do the exact opposite, and that's how I used to try to do it, is you want to, you figure it's going to take a million feet of lead, and so you swing way past the bird real fast and shoot, and who knows where those pellets go. Yeah. But if you come through the bird about half the speed you think you have to, uh, it really doesn't take a whole lot, and, and you see a little bit of daylight. Well, you'll actually, you block it out. If it's coming directly overhead, you're, you're blocking it out, <clears throat> so... Block it out. You figure you're past the beak. You pull the trigger. That's that's how I do it. Yeah, and that's just a pretty smooth swing right there. I mean, it is. It is about the only time I try to swing through a bird. Mm -hmm. Is you know, I usually just put the gun in front of a bird that I want to shoot, 
But if I'm shooting an overhead shot, I will come from behind it, move through it, and you know, pass the beak and and pull trigger. Yeah, and and in the column, you kind of talk about footwork too, which is interesting mm-hmm. because a lot of times, you know, shotgunners, you're not really thinking about footwork in the duck blind, but it can be, it can you know, really be an important aspect. Right. Uh, I mean, that's a lot of times in, in waterfowling, you, you don't have the luxury of using your feet. You know, you're stuck in the mud or you're sitting down or whatever. But um, if a bird is is coming, if you're right-handed and you've got uh, a bird straight overhead or going to your right side, if you keep your weight on your back foot, your left, left front leg straight, you should try that. You know, if you can try that on your, on your own, even without a gun in your hands, you find it's a much easier move. Whereas if you're, the bird comes to the left side, <clears throat> your right hand, you keep your weight on the front foot, it's a lot easier to pivot around on that front foot and and make that shot. So it's um, and that helps you keep the gun on the line of the target. And that is the other really important thing when, you, especially when the ranges get longer, is you know the lead is not as important. You've got a wide pattern mm-hmm. to hit the bird with, but the line of the target is really important. If you're not on the line, you're not going to hit it. Yeah, and and all of that has to do with like the hands and, and the feet mm-hmm. and all kind of working together, similar to what we talked about, you know, in the, you know, hands on shooting right. column. It's but all the, the, what the foot, footwork helps you not <clears throat> helps you keep the gun moving straight. Yeah. If you got your, if you got your weight, right. <clears throat> and because as soon as you start to dip the muzzle, then you're pulling the gun offline. And you mentioned speed a little bit in here, you know, you talk about gun speed and you've already talked about it briefly. Um, but it's very, very, small movements here with this overhead shot. I mean, it's... It is. Um, it is small movements. And you remember, too, that when you're... As, as ranges increase, it doesn't take very much movement at the muzzle to translate into a lot of distance at the bird. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, if you find that... I find that shooting... Uh, I don't do a lot of trap shooting anymore, but shooting handicap trap, the farther you move back, you know, the smaller the movements are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the same thing when you're shooting long-range birds. Yeah. It's not a, and and again, it's it's the exact uh, what you think you need to do is the exact opposite of what you should do. You think you need to swing the gun fast and a lot to get in front of that bird because it's so high up, and that's uh, that is not the way to do it. And, and and back when I liked shooting things, and I used to like it on trips to Canada is where I've done most of my long range shooting because the fields are so big up there. You know, a lot of it's field hunting, mm-hmm. and the fields are huge. And if you sail a bird. You'll get it. Yep. <laughs> you just have to watch it. Yeah. Well, sometimes a long way, and then it falls, and you go get it. Uh, and and then I have done some, you know, taken some really long 60, 70 yard shots, and and killed. And the higher the birds are, the slower you need to move the gun. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. And I think you know, there's not really. I guess experienced shooters have probably taken, like you said, you, you've taken the shot a lot, but but it's hard to practice this because this shot is not replicated in, you know, trap or skeet necessarily, but in sporting clays, some courses do have that. So they do. And you, and you should absolutely should, it's, it's not a hard shot. Once you, once you get used to the fact that you can't see the bird when you pull the trigger because the guns come through it, it's a pretty easy shot. Um, I learned it actually, uh, I was just lucky the first time I went to South America, we shot pigeons in the field and I'd always had to struggle with that overhead shot. And I just wound up in a, in a spot in the field where the pigeons were coming in, uh, right over my, where I was hiding. And so I got to shoot that overhead shot a lot of times in one day. Yeah. And from then on, it was my favorite. 
Yeah. You know, I, I mean, it was that I just, that took one day and I had it. Um, and so it doesn't, it doesn't take a ton of practice, but you do need to get used to the idea of not trying to move the gun fast, of moving through the target. And uh, usually it doesn't take a whole lot of lead. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, Nash Buckingham, so the, the kind of famous outdoor author mm-hmm. um, from the early part of the 20th century, you know, one of his favorite shots was that overhead and, and he hunted a lot of timber. Mm-hmm. Um, he hunted a lot of like Cypress sluice, like Cypress breaks. And that was right. his favorite shot was a kind of a straight up as that duck was yeah. circling mm-hmm. overhead and it'd come over the top of him over the trees. Yeah. And he Nash, would take Nash that. was a tree topper. Yeah, um, that's right. He, he liked that a lot more than he liked shooting on the decoys. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, that is, uh, and that's what he had that, that big gun made for. Yeah. Yeah, that's what he had Bo Whoop for was that high top, that tree topper shot. Now you do that in Arkansas, people criticize you pretty heavily. But right. um, I think that's a personal preference. But but uh, it is the only two ducks I ever shot at, at Biomeda were tree topped because our hole was iced up and they didn't want to come in. So. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's so sometimes you have to do it. Sometimes if you want to kill ducks, you have to shoot that overhead shot. And and there is I say as long as um, long as you know where the bird is going to fall. It's a good shot. It's a, it's an ethical, responsible shot to take because you've got everything to hit there. Head, neck, vitals, it's all right there. Um, and um, so, yeah, and it's absolutely one that everybody should have in their in their repertoire for <clears throat> for days when the birds don't want to work. Um, or, you know, if, if, and some people like shooting stuff far away. Some people enjoy that shot. I, I used to like it a lot. And I just, you know, what, what I like out of, what I want out of a, a uh, waterfowl hunt now is less about the shooting and more about the hunting. Yeah. So that makes perfect <clears throat> I, sense. Well, you, you don't know, like that shot necessarily yeah, done. Right. Well, cool, Phil, this has been great. Um, you know, just kind of talking about the hands-on shooting column and the high overhead mm-hmm. shot. I think we've really taken a little bit deeper dive than what you even did, you know, in those columns. And, and I think, uh, you know, our listeners can really pick up some of these very small things, whether doing with their hands or even their feet, you know, like we talked about, mm-hmm. and, and some different ways to practice these shots. I think think it's been very, very beneficial. Good. Well, I hope so. Well, you know, the timing of this is pretty good because seasons are well, seasons are closed here and closing everywhere else. But um, now it is time to start, not quite yet, but pretty soon it's time to start practicing for next year. And, and that's, uh, you know, as a shotgun columnist, you like to think that people don't just read what you write, but they actually go out and work on it. Yeah. And I would encourage everyone. And honestly, I, you know, I, I don't understand why people don't shoot, you know, because it's fun. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and it, and it's, um, <clears throat> spend all this time thinking about waterfowl season and, um, doing all the things that we do, but it's really a lot more fun when you can hit what you shoot at. And, and it's not like practicing your shooting is like hard work and no fun. You know, it's, uh, so anyway, that's that's my that's my New Year's resolution for everybody who's listening is uh, get out to the gun club more this summer. And practice, practice, practice. You know, hunting season may be ending, but shotgunning season is pretty much just beginning, right? That's right. <laughs> awesome. Phil, thanks a lot for coming on the show today. Uh, it's been great, and we'll have to get you back on soon. Hey, thank you for having me. It's always fun. I'd like to thank my guest, Phil Brzezaley, Ducks Unlimited Magazine shotgunning columnist, for coming on and sharing some of his insight on hands-on shooting and the high overhead shot. I'd like to thank our producer, Chris Isaac, for putting the show together and getting it out to you. And I'd like to thank you, the listener, for joining us on the DU Podcast and supporting Wellens Conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. 
and visit www.ducks.org slash DU podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com.